Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. All right, folks, today on the Cuse Conversations Alumni Podcast, we are pleased to bring on the longtime radio voice of the Buffalo Bills. His name is John Murphy, a class of 1978 graduate from Newhouse, had a broadcast journalism degree. He has worked for the Buffalo Bills for more than three decades. He's unfortunately seen more than his fair share of lean times, but the Bills are back. As Chris Berman would say, they're circling the wagons, 13-3, and the number two seed in the AFC playoffs coming up. John, it's got to be quite the exciting time around one Bills drive uh, for this Buffalo Bills squad. How can you describe it? Yeah, it's it is exciting. There's no question about that. And you know, we're I'm kind of myself getting used to the new uh, era of Bills football. This is the third time in the last four years the Bills have been in the playoffs. I mean, there was a 17 year playoff drought that preceded that. It almost was like, well, okay, there go the NFL playoffs. Of course, we're not in it now. Three of the last four years, the Bills are in it, and this time. They're not just in it. They, I think, are serious contenders to go deep in the playoffs and challenge for a Super Bowl. That's how good their season has been. So it's amazing. I'm still getting used to this new era of Bills football. How have you seen things change with the the organization, uh, with the games, and with the fans with regards to expectations? It almost seems like now fans expect the team to win, but that wasn't always the case. Yeah, and I think that, well, let me, the expectation of fans is, is very much still a, a work in progress, I think, because as I said, <laughs> 17 years that preceded this last four years were really bleak. I mean, a lot of five, six, seven win seasons and, uh, you know, uh, uh, fans, I think, expected to have, hope to have a competitive team, but didn't really have high expectations for the Bills. There was, uh, I used to drive me crazy to hear fans talk about, well, same old Bills. And I would kind of challenge them, say, what do you mean by that? And they would articulate it. They would say, well, you know, the Bills find a way to lose. Um, and that's all gone now. And I think it's in the process of still being erased from, from our memories. One of the things, John, that I really enjoy about the 2020 season is that there's a whole new generation of Bills fans that are finding the Buffalo Bills now. And, and that makes sense. You know, my own sons, I have a 32-year-old a son and a 29-year-old that they grew up following the Bills, loving the Bills, went to a lot of games, but they never were rewarded with a good team during that time, you know, when they were really Bills fans. They were born at the tail end of the Super Bowl run, you know, essentially. And when they started being aware of the Buffalo Bills, they, they just weren't that good. But uh, fans of that era, you know, from the age of, you know, well, from younger teenagers to maybe age 35, this is the first taste they've had of a really successful Bills team. And I really enjoy seeing them respond to it and, and adopt it and, and putting their own stamp on, uh, on the way the Bills are playing this year. I think that's maybe the best thing about the way Buffalo has played, that there's, they've grown a whole new generation of fans and a whole new generation of support among the fan base. Uh, and it's, it's important to do that to, for the uh, future of the franchise, but it's really fun to see that happening too. Um, so that's what I'd say maybe the best thing about this, this Bills team this year. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and obviously expectations, um, you know, have, have, have been sky high. I think Josh Allen has, if you had told me before the season started that Josh was going to complete almost 70% of his passes and the bills would have more touchdowns and punts on the season. I mean, there's so many remarkable stats, but this has been so unfortunate where fans have not been able to watch the games in person due to the pandemic. What has it been like for you to be a broadcaster calling games in the stadium without fans, knowing how raucous uh, Bill Stadium can be. It's been sad. I'll be honest with you. And, um, you know, I'm looking at a schedule here, but 
they're going way back to September. They had a good solid win against the Rams, who I thought were a pretty good team. It turned out they weren't that good, but a good solid win against the Rams, and they were competitive against Kansas City. They beat New England. They're uh, tormentors, tormentors for the last couple of decades. They beat Seattle, a, a playoff team and a Super Bowl contender at home. Um, they, they they beat Pittsburgh on a Sunday night game. They they they've had so many good games at home this year, and almost four or five times this year, I'd walk out and say. I can't believe nobody saw that game, that Bills fans weren't here to see it. It was in a sports sense, certainly not in a, a real life sense, but in a sports sense, it was a tragedy, I thought, that Bills fans didn't see that. Uh, it's been weird to do games without fans. I really enjoy having real live games, which we have for the home games, because there's a real life football game going out there that we can call. For the road games, we have not traveled all year. We decided, and most I think almost every NFL team has done the same thing for the road games. We go right back to Bill stadium. We have a, a video feed, uh, th three different uh, huge monitors with a video feed of the bills at uh, whomever at uh, new England, at Denver, whomever. And we call the game off TV, which is different. It's not as much fun and you miss a lot, but uh, that's the best we can do. So there's been a lot of adjustment to both home and road games. I really welcome, even though it's only 6,700 fans or so, I just welcome to have real live people in the stands. I don't know how much noise they can make. They'll be hard pressed to make the noise that seventy-three thousand people can make in that in that place, but uh, I think it's going to be a good experience for everybody who's there, and I really look forward to having that this coming weekend. We took so many things for granted before the pandemic, and not the least of which was the ability to go to football games and and cheer on your favorite team. I've had season tickets forever with the Bills going on seventeen years, and 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 there's something special about the family that gets cultivated by being at the stadium and, and the tailgating. Now, granted, we can't tailgate on Saturday. We have to be very safe. And I respect that. It's great that we're at least getting to have fans in the stadium. What can you say about what you've experienced with, you know, the Bills Mafia and Bills fans and you know, being a broadcaster, obviously you see it from a different perspective, but you mentioned earlier the passion, just how passionate are the fans for which you're calling these games? Yeah, I'm going to get to that. First, I want to thank you for being a season ticket holder for 17 years. That's admirable, especially they haven't been the greatest years. One more thing I want to say about uh, this coming Saturday and the, the setup for this Saturday and the basically the hoops that fans like you are jumping through to get to go to the game. I really salute that. And and I, I found it interesting reading about, uh, you know, the governor's take about that, saying how uh, we're going to use this as a model for maybe reopening Broadway shows and reopening concerts. Uh, this week may be setting the template. Uh, it seems like it's working great here on Orchard Park. We're still, you know, a couple of days away from kickoff, but it seems like everybody's handling it well and going through the testing well. And uh, I hope he's right. I hope that they can open up other aspects of American culture. And maybe this would be a model for doing that. As for, now you asked about Bill's, Bill's Mafia, Bill's fans. It's been I'll tell you what, and I've been doing play-by-play. -play. I think this is the 17th season. And when I got the job, when my predecessor, Van Miller, retired after the 1993 season, um, there were no guarantees. Nothing was guaranteed me or anybody else. So I was a, a candidate for the job. And there was about a uh, maybe only six-week uh, time frame between when Van officially called his last game and the Bills named me. During that six weeks, it blew me away how much people really cared. Bills fans really cared. I, I know, I mean, I know virtually all the other 31 other NFL broadcasters, and I think we're in a unique position here in Buffalo. I don't know that, and I love these guys, but I don't know if the fans in Miami really care who does the Dolphins games. And the guy who does it, Jimmy Cephalo, is great, and he's a friend of mine. But um, And the same thing goes for, you know, New England, Bob Sochi, uh, another friend of mine, an Auburn native. I don't know if New England Patriots fans – 
really give a damn who the the play-by-play guy is. That six-week period before I got named the job, I heard from so many people saying, "We hope you get it. We really want you to get it." And that and that's 17 years ago. That really kind of blew me away. It was like, wow, these fans care about this team. They care about who's calling the game. Uh, and that's kind of a you feel like you're entrusted with something when you know the fans care that much when they when they give a damn about who's doing the games. That really blew me away. And it's been nothing but made stronger I think over 17 years you know you're not everybody's favorite I'm okay with that but I think fans sort of identify you with the team after a while and maybe they like what you're doing and they, and they support you it's a uh, I mean I'm just a, an adjunct to the real here the real heroes the real playmakers here and those are the players you know I'm just a attack on guy but to be associated with that and get that's the benefit of of that kind of feeling from fans is is really been a, a great part of the job and one that I, I guess I didn't realize that existed. And I think it's unique to Buffalo, to be honest with you. There's a trust that you mentioned where fans are trusting you to bring them the action and just to bring it unfiltered to describe what's happening. How do you try to fulfill and live up to that trust? What would you say is your broadcasting style that, that meets those high standards? Well, that's a good question. You know, one of, I always try to, I always try to do a broadcast and play by play for, for the bills or anything I've done try to put myself in the viewer's position or the listener's position. What do they need from me? What are they looking for? And for Bill's broadcast, I often think about we're doing a game and Bill's fans who really care are watching the game on TV. I get that. But I also like to think that there's some guy driving down the New York state Thruway. you know, had to drop his daughter off at college at Syracuse, driving back and forth to Buffalo. And he wishes he was watching the game and he can't, he really wants to know what's going on. And I sort of envision what does that guy need to hear? What do I need to tell him what's going on? And you got to make it fun and entertaining, but uh, I guess that informative aspect of it, make sure that he knows the score, you know, give the score too often, maybe then not often enough so that people aren't, I've done it myself, pounding the, the dashboard saying, what's the score? Give me the score. I don't want anybody doing that when they listen to a Bills game. I'm sure some do, but I, I try to think of what the listeners are, are looking for. You know, are they looking for fun and color and excitement? Yeah. But mostly they're looking for an explanation and a, and my, my uh, take on what just happened, you know, I'm a reporter essentially, you know, um, maybe more so than some other play-by-play guys, but that's sort of the approach that I take. I know there was an article I read, uh, John, that was talking about your style and they described it like listening, uh, like you're sitting next to a longtime friend who has both a contagious enthusiasm and an encyclopedic knowledge of the Buffalo Bills. I'm sure there's articles that have been written to the contrary, but to hear the, the praise like that, what does that make you feel when, again, that whole, you're, you're, you're almost like a historian for the Bills because they expect you to recount what happened the last time the Bills played the Colts, the snow yeah. game in 2017, and you know the last time the Bills had a home playoff game. So there's such a responsibility. How do you try to uh, live up to that aspect of it where, again, you're almost like a historian for the franchise? Yeah, I mean that's what happens when you do it for a while, right? I mean, <laughs> you've been you've been around for so long that um, you you naturally do that. And and look, I think that's one of the things. As I mentioned a minute ago, I try to provide listeners what they might be looking for, what they might not get from a network broadcast, radio or TV. One of the things we can do is provide perspective. And yeah, I mean you're right about the Colts this week. The last time the Colts were here was, was that crazy snow game when it was hard to see yard lines and. We'll reference that on Sunday for the game. I thought about it a lot this week. We provide perspective, and it's sort of a it's sort of a shared perspective that we know most of our fans, if not ninety nine percent of our fans, are Bills fans, and we all remember what happened in this game and that game, and we know 
what happened in four Super Bowls and we know who missed this field goal and, and we have that shared background and it, that gives us an edge, I think, over network announcers, radio or TV. And we have sort of a shared uh, sense of experience. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't call myself a fan. I know I'm a fan of uh, of the Bills fans, if that makes sense. I want to see Bills fans happy. I want to see them rewarded for their devotion and their loyalty to the team. But um, I guess that comes across, you know, I kind of, do I root for the Bills? No, I, I mean, I, I try not to. I try to be honest and objective and, and root for the Bills fans. I want all those fans, 73,000 in the stands and however many outside the stadium, I want them to be happy and, and feel rewarded for their loyalty. I know there's probably no such thing as an average week, but how would you describe the preparation that goes into getting ready to call a game? It, there's a lot. And I, it's sort of, I've adapted over the years. I mean, um, we were talking, you and I were talking before we started this interview about how much busier I might be this week. And to be honest, I try not to be any busier this week than I was in November when they're playing Seattle. I mean, you have a routine. Um, when I worked at the CBS affiliate here in Buffalo a few years ago, the, the news anchor, a friend of mine, Jackie Walker, said, uh, how much time do you put in to get ready for those games? And she was pressing me on it. She's a good reporter. And I, so I sat down with a paper and a pen and figured out it's, you know, it's about 20, 25 hours a week, uh, aside from whatever other job I have to get ready. And and a lot of it is watching video. I've watched a couple of Colts games this week. I hope to watch a few more. A lot of it is doing notes. Um, I'll probably put all my notes together uh, tomorrow for the Saturday game and, and um, you know, try to set up a, a format for the pregame discussion that I'll have with the color man, Steve Tasker. Um, a lot of it is familiarizing myself with the storylines for the Bills and their opponents, in this case, the Colts. Um, I, the video helps watching, and there's so much, I mean, the video is so helpful. And if I don't think I have a, a trick memory or anything, but if I watch the Colts a couple times, Chant, and you know how to watch, and you know, you know, I don't need to know every offensive lineman's name and number, but I need to know every receiver's name and number. If you watch them a couple times, it sort of comes to me, you know, I think anybody would do that. So I guess it's 20 to 25 hours. This was a few years ago when I sat down to figure it out, but it's mostly watching video, uh, making notes for pregame discussion and just sort of having a handle on the issues, you know, like what are the bills issues going into this week? You know, the bills have some injuries at wide receiver this particular week. So who might play and what could they do and, and who, who would they miss? And the same thing for their opponents, typically the Colts, you know, what's their injury list look like? What are their issues? You know, how are they, how did they play last week? Who's playing strong for them? Who's not playing as well as they can? You know, you sort of familiarize yourself and immerse yourself in the matchup as much as you can during the course of a week. We uh, we talked earlier, John, about how great it is for, for Bills fans to be back in the playoffs. It's the third time in four years after that NFL record 17-year playoff drought. The Bills are, are back and one of the teams to contend with. You've seen a lot of experiences and a lot of game moments during your broadcasting career. You've been fortunate to have some awesome games and some not so great games to get to be behind the mic to call. What stands out to you as some of those most memorable moments from your broadcasting career? Yeah, that's always a tough one for me. Um, <laughs> before I was play by play, I worked with Van Miller. I was doing color on the broadcast. And um, I mean, I'll never forget the playoff loss. It was a loss in Cleveland, uh, a, a wild card playoff loss to the Cleveland Browns. Um, the Bills had it won on a touchdown pass to Ronnie Harmon in the end zone that he did not, ha- he could not handle. He dropped it. And it was just on the the cusp. I mean, the very next year, the Bills went to uh, the, I think it was the next year, right? The first of their uh, four straight Super Bowls. I mean, that's how how good they were. And that's how close they were to being a great playoff team. And, and Ronnie Harmon just dropped that ball. I'll never forget that. And Cleveland, the old Cleveland Stadium was 
kind of a memorable place and a fun place to work. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there've been an awful lot of games in a, in a, in a weird way, uh, 2017 season, the bills went to Miami for the finale and won the game. And Kyle Williams, defensive lineman scored a touchdown. Um, they, they needed to win, but they didn't control their destiny. They had to win and have things happen. So we finish up the game and I was trying to delay, trying to on a monitor now watch the, uh, the, the end, really, it was a couple of minutes later than the Bills, the end of the Baltimore Ravens game against uh, the Bengals. And if um, if the Ravens had won, the Bills would not have made the playoffs. And we're watching it after we signed off, like five minutes after our game ended. And all of a sudden, uh, the Bengals score a late touchdown, last-minute touchdown, last play of the game touchdown to knock off the Ravens and put the Bills in the playoffs. And there was and, – and in the – we're watching it from our radio booth in Miami – and the Dolphins broadcast, the aforementioned Jimmy Cephalo and a couple of other guys were rooting for us. They came in, you know, and watched the last few minutes with us. I mean, these guys for the Dolphins, a couple of them former Dolphins players, Cephalo and others, were out there rooting for the Bills. I thought that's pretty cool. But they just really were pulling for us. And when when uh, when uh, Andy Dalton completed that pass and the, the Bengals uh, won it on the last play, our booth erupted. Even though we weren't on the air, we it erupted. And uh, Cephalo and the Dolphins broadcast were seemed just as happy as we were. That that was a memorable moment, which wasn't really connected to a broadcast. It was uh, it was unbelievable uh, that it happened that way. Um, there have been a lot of memorable moments, and uh, some of them some of them losses. But as I said, the Browns lost at the end of the season, the playoff loss. Um, but those might be the top two, I would think. It was great too. After uh, Dalton's uh, TD pass to Tyler Boyd, the Bills fans made donations to Andy Dalton's charity for thanking them for ending the the playoff drought and getting Buffalo in the playoffs. It goes to show the generosity of yeah. of Bills fans out there. Now, John, there's we talk about being fortunate and taking things for granted. You seem very humble and very you know in the moment with your with your position. There's not that many jobs that are out there to do radio play by play. Do you ever pinch yourself and think, I cannot believe that a guy from Western New York has one of these 32 radio play-by-play jobs. Oh, and by the way, doing it for a team that is where you near, near where you grew up. Yeah. I'm lucky. I mean, it's, yeah, I, think I pinch myself on that all the time. And um, I'm just, I've just been lucky, you know, falling into jobs in 1984, um, the color man, then uh, Stan Barron got uh, uh, really sick and passed away like the next February. And they were, the season had already begun. We were one week into it. They needed somebody. And I was like the nearest bystander doing news at WBN radio. And they tapped me on the shoulder and said, all right, you got to fill in. I was like, I've never done that before. And I filled in work with Van Miller in 85. And, you know, that was like the start of broadcasting Bill's football. It's just, it's luck. It's, it's being prepared. I think it's, um, I mean, I tried to stay up to date on what's going on. I'm, uh, I'm kind of an old fashioned broadcaster. I, hand draw my own spotting boards and everything. So, but it's, it's mostly luck. I'll be honest with you. It's mostly luck. And yeah, I pinch myself all the time. I look how lucky you are. Look how lucky you've been over the years. Who inspired you to get into broadcasting? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I grew up around here and the guy that I worked with, Van Miller was an inspiration. Um, I mean, I grew up watching him do sports and listening to actually listening to Niagara university basketball. He called the games of the great, uh, Hall of Famer Calvin Murphy, which I was a huge fan of, and uh, listened to Van do Niagara basketball and then Buffalo Braves basketball, and I think he was an inspiration. He didn't know it at the time. I think after I worked with him for 16, 17 years, he probably knew it. Um, so, yeah, he, he might have been the greatest inspiration and the greatest influence on my career, to be honest with you. Um, 
<laughs> Van used to, uh, you know, we all do it, keep a notebook, keep track of what's going on in the game. And uh, every once in a while, he'd have a guest in the booth or somebody would stop in and he would turn his notebook around and on the back of it, he was already prepared. It, he, I don't know if I should say this, but he, he wrote down, it's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd turn around and say, yeah, but what's really going on? I mean, he didn't take himself too seriously, didn't take the broadcast that seriously. And he wanted the guest, whoever it was that time, to know that, uh, yeah, we're having fun here. We're doing a radio broadcast. You know, we're not splitting atoms. And that sort of approach uh, kind of stayed with me. You know, I don't I don't do it. I don't say it's all bullshit, but I know not to take it too seriously. <laughs> you know, it's a game. You mentioned, again, the surreal feeling when you took over for, for Van Miller, someone you had been working with quite closely for you know, more than a decade. Van was a living legend. Van was a, a voice that Bills fans came to rely upon. And you talked earlier about the trust of the fans and getting their trust when it comes to broadcasting. How hard was it to step in and take over for the living legend known as Van Miller? Yeah, I, I deliberately didn't think about that too much because I think I would have been intimidated. To be honest, I, I said, well, I've been on this broadcast for 17 years. I kind of know the drill. I know it's expected. But, I mean, I I mean, I mean, was there in Canton, Ohio, when he was awarded the Pete Rosell Award for, you know, broadcasting. He's basically a Hall of Famer there. He's a Hall of Famer. I think he, the last I counted or he counted, he was in a Hall of – six or seven Halls of Fame. And so I deliberately didn't think of that. I just thought, well, well you know – you know, you have a good background, you know what's expected. Van has kind of shown you a, a path. And I, I thought about that, uh, not trying to copy him to do your own thing, but just about what's expected. But if I would have sat down and said, oh my goodness, I'm I'm succeeding this Hall of Famer, I think I would have caved. I don't think I would have been able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of a lot of pressure obviously associated with that, but you've done a great job of meeting those expectations. I, I do want to take a stroll down memory lane to Syracuse University uh, here on the alumni podcast. What attracted you to Newhouse and Syracuse in the first place? Yeah, I mean, broadcasting. I mean, I was always a fan, even as a kid, you know, of, of broadcasting sports and otherwise. I, and uh, when I went there in 1974, the fall of 74, um, I was interested in, I still am interested in journalism. And that was kind of the, the Watergate era. And journalists were were big deals. And I think held in high esteem, maybe less so now. But um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was it. Just a chance to go to that school and uh, and to learn journalism, broadcast journalism. I didn't think in terms of sports back then. Uh, I just thought, yeah, I'd like to be a radio. I mean, I used to think, to be honest with you, John, I used to think this probably shows a lack of ambition. But I think, man, I, I just want a job where I can wake up in the morning and read the paper, and have a cup of coffee. And when you're when you're working in a newsroom, that's sort of required. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how I, I kind of got started. I just I really liked the reporting and really like journalism and love the broadcast aspect of it. I did a little radio work in my hometown in Lockport as a high school student, but that's really what I was looking for and Syracuse fulfilled. When you think back on your experiences with your professors, whether it's with WJPZ, the radio station, is there one lesson or one bit of advice that has served you so well from then that really is relevant and applicable now? Yeah, I did a little work at WJPZ and did newscasts at WJPZ, you know, it was Obviously, it's centuries ago now, but it was a different place. But, you know, one thing, uh, I don't know if you heard the name Rick Wright. Roosevelt Rick Wright was a broadcast professor. You, you're laughing because you've heard stories, right? I mean, listen, we're all, we all try to be uh, major market talent when it comes to being with Rick Wright in his classes. He was a, he's a legend. He still is to this day. <laughs> yeah. He used to say all the time in class, and he taught radio classes mostly, he said, you got to sell it, folks. You got to sell it. And that, that kind of stuck with me. Like, he's right. It's one thing to have the facts right or have the, you know, the broadcast right. But you got to you gotta sell it. You got to get people to buy in to saying, hey, 
listen to this, come along with me. And, and that of, of anything that anybody said, I mean, I had great professors in Newhouse and out of Newhouse as well, but uh, Rick Wright and maybe uh, Dr. Andrews, Dr. Ernest Andrews, he was a kind of a television news guy who, who showed us the ropes. We produce a television newscast. I'm sure they do it now still, but we do one every Friday. And it was, you know, he, he knew the nuts and bolts of it. And he, he got that message across. What are some of your favorite memories? And it can be academic, it can be a sports activity, a sports event, but what really stands out as your favorite moments from your time on the Hill? A lot of good moments in varsity, eating uh, cheap wings and drinking $5 pitchers of Budweiser. That was a good moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went to games at Manly. Manly was an amazing place, which I'm sure doesn't resonate with most of your audience, but Manly Fieldhouse to watch basketball you know, with the dirt floor and the, the the hardwood laid on top of the dirt and the place would get dusty and dirty. It was, it was a unique experience and it was a fun experience. Um, so Manly Fieldhouse would have been fun. I saw, um, well, it had to be uh, 1975 going into 76, but they had uh, a democratic, um, uh, democratic presidential candidates had a debate at Manly Fieldhouse and there was amazing talent there. And I don't know. I don't think the eventual winner, Jimmy Carter, was there, but there were, you know, Morris Udall and uh, and uh, just a, a bunch of Democrats who were thinking about running for president. It was really an interesting uh, afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Um, those I mean, it's so long ago, but those would be some of my favorite memories at SU, I think. I know uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, try to come to Newhouse and want to be sports broadcasters. And it, it clearly takes a lot of hard work, dedication, passion, like any field. You have to be passionate about what you want to do. What kind of advice, John, do you give to someone who is either starting off in this industry or is going to Syracuse to study this craft when it comes to trying to follow in the footsteps of being a sports broadcaster? It's, I mean, it's so different now. The landscape and the profession has changed, but I think probably what hasn't changed is um, you got to be ready to work and, uh, and not make money. And um, you got to like what you're doing or you won't be able to work without getting much money. I mean, I, I, uh, left Syracuse and went to law school at University of Buffalo for less than a year and hated it. But um, I started working at a radio station soon after in, in Niagara Falls. And I'm not looking for sympathy here, but I, my pay was uh, $75 a week and a tank of gas for my Toyota Corolla. And, and I, I tend to bar to try to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, I made it. It was good. But I mean, I made it in terms of surviving, but I learned a ton at WJJL. And I worked there for less than a year. I learned a ton about, you know, what writing for a broadcast and delivering a broadcast and what goes into getting a newscast ready. That's what I was doing. And then I went to cover a couple of other small stations and, you know, you can't, I guess I've never really been motivated by money, which is probably a fault, but if you're motivated by money, you probably don't want to get into this business, you know, because when you start out, you probably, unless you're you know, supernaturally talented, you won't make a ton of money. You know, you got to be ready to work and you got to really like the work or you won't be able to do it without making money, I think. Well, John, valuable bits of advice there for our, our listeners, for the alumni, the current students that are taking a listen to our podcast. John, of course, does a podcast as well. Uh, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff Podcast, uh, in addition to his duties being the radio play-by-play voice for the Buffalo Bills. John, I'd be remiss, and I, I can imagine you might give me an answer I would I would like, but how far do you think this Bills team can go? I have to go back to the 2020 season now. We're in 2021, but the playoff game on Saturday, hopes are sky high. What are your expectations for this team in the postseason? Yeah. You don't have to apologize for being a fan, John. That's good to be a fan. <laughs> no, I mean, know, I, I, look, I'm glad you say that because not to not to cut you off, but yeah. I find that there's we, we need things to get excited about. 
And I, I, my wife and I have been chatting. This is the most excited besides being a playoff game, just getting to watch the team in action in person. It's the simple things. Again, we took for granted because of the pandemic. Yeah. I, I, I see your point. There's definitely, we need, we need some good things. That's for sure. But look, this team, the last, it's almost two months now, but at least six weeks since the bye, they played better, really better than anybody in the NFL, including the Kansas City Chiefs. They're scoring points. Their defense has improved. Um, they're making big plays. Uh, Josh, he's playing great, and he's doing it now. His numbers aren't spectacular against the Dolphins or the week before against the Patriots. He's kind of thinking through games and deciding what he has to do to win games as opposed to just getting by on arm strength or his athleticism. I mean, it's really fun to watch. Um, look, they can go all the way. I mean, I'll, I'll say, I don't know if they will, but um, they can. They can go to a Super Bowl and maybe win a Super Bowl because over the last six weeks, maybe almost two months, nobody's played better in the NFL, not by my account. anyway. I know the Bills Mafia, faithful in our audience, will love to hear that. But regardless, John, however they perform, we know we'll get great calls on the games from yourself with Buffalo Bills Radio Network, Steve Tasker and Sal Capaccio, a fellow Orange alum. Uh, great, great voices to bring on the, the broadcast week in and week out. John, it's really been a pleasure getting to sit down and talk with you. Uh, I appreciate all your advice and we wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, John. Great to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.